0: Hello and welcome once again to another episode of the TriDoc Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Sankoff, the TriDoc, an emergency physician, triathlon coach, and multiple Ironman finisher coming to you from beautiful, sunny Denver, Colorado. I'm sure that many of you, like me, were excited to see the return of live racing streamed online a couple of weeks ago in the form of the inaugural Professional Triathlon Organization Championship that was held at the Challenge Daytona in Florida. It was pretty cool to get a brief respite from what has been a pretty hellish year and watch some of the greats in our sport finally go toe-to-toe in an actual real live event for actual cash dollars at the end. Now, as you might expect if you've been listening to this podcast for any amount of time, I have some thoughts on what transpired. Now, right away, I want to say that I applaud the athletes for taking matters into their own hands like this and for starting an organization to try and help themselves make a financial go at a sport that too often really only rewards those at the very top. I would very much like to see the PTO and what it represents succeed, so I'm not going to opine on any of the politics behind the PTO itself or its interscene battles with the WTC. I also don't really care about the fact that so-and-so was there and -and so-and-so wasn't. Nor am I going to voice my thoughts on whether or not doing this in the middle of the worst surge of coronavirus cases and deaths was really a good idea. Nope, I'm going to leave all of that on the table. Instead, I'm going to focus on the one thing that for me, as a fan, was something that was most impactful and relevant for the PTO to actually make a case for itself to survive. And that is the broadcast itself. Look, in order for triathlon to make money, it really has to be successful as a television venture, be that as an internet pay-per-view affair or on cable or mainstream broadcast TV. Every triathlete in the world can relate to the NBC broadcast of the Ironman World Championships in Hawaii. So if the PTO wants to succeed, they need to get there. And I don't think I'm alone in saying that with this first stab at it, they have a very, very long way to go. Now, keep in mind, I am coming at this as an educated fan, I understand triathlon, and I'm a consumer of sports on television. So what may have irritated me may not have been a big deal for others, but with that said, indulge me, just for a short while, while I tell you the myriad ways that I think this first broadcast failed pretty miserably, and could improve going forward. Let's begin with what can only be described as the desperate attempts by someone to make this into a spectacle. Fireworks on television are always a little bit difficult for me to appreciate, but fireworks during the daylight hours are especially awkward. I don't know if that was a PTO or challenge family decision, but whoever made it was clearly not thinking the whole thing through. Then there were the -the over-the-top athlete introduction graphics. They didn't add anything, and frankly, just because baseball and football do them doesn't mean the triathlon has to. Okay, now we get to the commentating crew. Rick Allen did a respectable job, despite clearly not knowing almost anything about triathlon, and Rowdy Gaines, from swimming background, similarly did okay, although he too repeatedly betrayed an obvious lack of knowledge about the sport. Where things really fell apart, though, was with Belinda Granger and Kevin McKinnon. Their frequently breathless and inane commentary added nothing to what the viewer was seeing, and more than anything, tended to detract from the experience. Early on, McKinnon actually said that the atmosphere was electric. He said this in an empty stadium with a couple of athletes standing behind him nonchalantly chatting and laughing, looking like there was anything but an electricity coursing through the atmosphere. And, and this would happen repeatedly through the broadcast. At one point... After Anne Hogg served her drafting penalty and was making ground on leader Paula Finley, the play-by-play commentator, Alan, commentated how tragic it would be if Hogg were to lose by less than two minutes. Now, in his defense, he doesn't really know our sport, nor did he really know what he was talking about. But this was a perfect moment for Granger to step in and educate him and any other listeners or viewers who didn't really know what was going on and might sympathize with that comment. It was an opportunity for her to speak to how important the rules are and how, if Hogg broke them, her penalty was part of the time that was part of her race. Instead, she said nothing and just kind of agreed with him and really did nothing to advance the cause. At another agonizing time, and this went on for a very long period during the bike race, the commentators all fixated on the front wheel of Alistair Brownlee. There were moments of slow motion of the front wheel in, like, really, you know, zoomed-in focus, going on and on about whether or not his tire was flat or had a slow leak. All I could think about during this time was, are you guys kidding me? I think if Alistair Brownlee has a flat, he's going to know, and then you'll know also. If you think that you are somehow creating excitement or that you have to create excitement by talking about this ad nauseum for as long as you are doing so, you're crazy. The race itself is exciting. It doesn't need this kind of sideshow to make it more so. And this was after Granger had made other commentary in response to something not so helpful that Rowdy Gaines had said about one of the lead swimmers swimming directly towards the turn buoys, where she said, thank goodness the inflatable buoys aren't hard. This is not insightful, this is not helpful, and this is not illuminating for anybody watching. My final comments have to do with the production elements, and these are quibbles, I absolutely admit it, but if you're a serious sports watcher like I am, they matter. The information graphics were obtrusive and often not particularly helpful. Because of the layout of the track and the angle of the cameras, you often had a view of cyclists or runners such that the lead runner or biker was on the right of the screen and the pursuers were lined down the left of the screen. Well, the infographic took up the entire left half of the screen and covered up all of the action. This was annoying and completely predictable. They also kept talking about riders who were outside the top 20 that were displayed on that infographic, such as Lionel Sanders, Sam Long, and Sebastian Kinley. But you had no idea how far back they were because until they cracked the top 20, there was no information about them displayed at all. Even the broadcasters seemed completely unaware of where these racers were in relation to the top three. Now, since those three are such huge fan favorites, and since they had so much discussion about them and often were actually on screen, you would think that they might have paid more attention and actually altered the graphic to let us know what was going on in the overall race. Now, finally, there was the choice of this venue in the first place. I don't have to tell anybody who's been watching triathlon for any amount of time that the reason for the success and the mystique of the Ironman World Championship is very much in part because of the setting. The Big Island is beautiful to look at and a stunning backdrop for the race. The Daytona Speedway was 100% the exact opposite of that. Again, I want the PTO and televised triathlon to succeed, and I believe that it can. But to do so, you need a better quality venue, a better quality commentating team, and a better quality production. And one that doesn't cut out with 10 minutes left in the race, I might add. You might also want to make it clear that people don't have to pay to watch something, and this wasn't at all obvious to many when they signed up. Making viewers feel duped is a less than great way to get a repeat audience. Can they do better? Of course. And I hope that they will. Are they going to listen to anything I have to say? It's probably pretty doubtful. But hopefully someone is advising them, and giving them at least some of this feedback, and that will lead to a better product next time around. On the show today, I have a special interview for The Medical Question that comes from a collaboration that I did with Helen Murray, the producer of The Inside Try Show, which is a terrifically popular podcast made by the veteran BBC journalist. She recently interviewed Dr. Michael Papadakis, a leading European cardiologist who advocates strongly for exercise, but also studies the effects of exercise on the heart. Well, she graciously shared her conversation with him about Athlete's Heart for me to then share with you, and that's coming right up. Later, I have a conversation with my guest for today, Iggy Perillo. Iggy cultivates and facilitates masterminds as a leadership and team development coach. She has worked with world champion athletes and people in corporate spaces for the past 20 years, and she joins me today to share how some of these strategies can be used by triathletes to achieve their own success stories. Before that, I just want to take a moment to remind you again of my Patreon program for listeners who enjoy the podcast and would like to get even more out of it in return for providing some support. The page is live at patreon.com forward slash tridocpodcast, and there are multiple levels of support, each with its own tier of thank you from call-outs on the show to bonus episodes and live Q&A sessions. I'm working on lots of bonus content, and that's going to be available to all of my supporters very soon. I also want to mention an exciting opportunity that some of you might want to avail yourselves of if you're looking for a great way to jumpstart your training for 2021 lance watson's tri club is free until the end of the year you get a training plan written by hall of fame coach lance watson an online community on facebook and strava as well as direct access to coaches to answer all of your training questions best of all you can join live interactive coach-led bike run and strength sessions every week via zoom and zwift check out LanceWatson'sTriClub.com if you're interested for a no obligation between now and the end of the year And I'll put that link in the show notes at the-tri-doc-podcast.captivate.fm. For the medical question today, I am excited to bring to you a conversation between Helen Murray and Dr. Michael Papadakis, the head of the European Society of Cardiology and the European Society of Sports Cardiology. Helen had uh, Dr. Papadakis on her podcast, The Inside Tri Show, and uh, the conversation was lengthy and incredibly informative, and so I've broken it up into two parts. On the first part, you will hear Helen speak with uh, Dr. Papadakis about athlete's heart, as well as sudden cardiac death among athletes, including triathletes, and uh, some of the research that has been done in order to try and determine who's at risk and what can be done to prevent it. Here, then, is part one of Helen Murray's conversation With Dr. Michael Papadakis.
1: So, to begin with, do you want to introduce yourself? So, your name and your role or your title?
2: My name is Michael Papadakis. I'm a consultant cardiologist at St. George's uh, University of London with an interest in uh, uh, sports cardiology as well as uh, prevention of heart disease and sudden cardiac death. Uh, I I am the president, I've been the president until recently of the European section of sports cardiology, and I've just been elected as the president-elect for the European Association of Preventive Cardiology, where exercise obviously is one of our major aims.
1: Michael, you are indeed the expert to talk to on this. Is Is there such a thing as athlete's heart? And if there is, what is it?
2: Yes, there's definitely uh, the thing called athlete's heart, and it's a quite broad term. But uh, to put it uh, simply, essentially what happens is that when someone exercises on a regular basis, then their heart, their cardiovascular system as a whole, the heart and the different arteries and veins will adapt. Now, if I had to summarize to you how the heart adapts, I will say to you that all four chambers become bigger, they dilate. The muscle wall of the heart thickens a bit, and the heart muscle looks a bit more spongy than usual uh, when a doctor has a look of your heart with an ultrasound scan. The other thing that happens, and your uh, audience will have observed, is that the heart rate tends to uh, go lower. So a high-endurance athlete may be running a baseline heart rate of about 40 to 50 beats per minute, Compared to an untrained individual who usually lies between 60 and 70 beats per minute, and that's simply because the heart is a more efficient pump. So they're able to push uh, across the body with, every time the heart pumps, more blood volume. And as such, also someone who is untrained may have to do the same contraction about 70 times, an elite athlete can do that with about 40 to 50 times maximum. So, yes, definitely there is a, a, an athletic adaptation. And the important thing about the athletic adaptation, Helen, is not only that it exists and your audience will be aware of, but also uh, my colleagues should be aware of it as well, because we've seen it in many occasions that those cardiac adaptations are reflected As we said on the pulse rate that your GP may take for a completely different reason and see I and a heart rate of 40 beats per minute, they start getting concerned. And there are plenty of cases that one investigation brings the next one, and eventually you end up with a diagnosis. And also those changes are reflected on simple tools that your GP or a cardiologist may use to evaluate someone who... Uh, has symptoms or are in the form of prevention and screening, like the ECG, which is the tracing of the heart, and the ultrasound scan that we call echocardiogram. So it's particularly important that we educate uh, not only the athletes themselves, but also the individuals who are likely to look after those athletes.
1: So is athletes' heart then Is it a thing to be worried about or is it just a normal part of if you're an endurance athlete, that is the adaptation that happens to the heart?
2: It's a normal variant. It's exactly what happens to the heart with uh, exercise. Now, how much your heart adapts, it will depend on what sort of exercise do you do and your predominantly interest in endurance training and how many hours of that endurance training you do. Endurance athlete are the individuals that Are more likely to have significant adaptation of the heart and the sort of adaptation that may cause confusion with conditions that uh, may predispose to heart disease and sudden cardiac death. It's important, however, to highlight that the great majority of athletic individuals, even endurance athletes, will exhibit adaptation of the heart that falls well within physiological limits that we doctors use when we evaluate a regular patient, forget the athletes, okay? So the majority will feel within those normal limits. A small proportion of them, and depends on what we're looking at, uh, which chamber dilatation we're examining, the wall thickness and the rest, that can vary anything between 1% up to 30 or 40%.
1: Okay. And if, like, you know, quite often at the time of the London Marathon every year, or sometimes you might hear about in an Ironman, someone sadly dying suddenly in the swim, are they just really unfortunate circumstances?
2: The majority of them will be unfortunate circumstances in that the exercise itself for the great, great majority of individuals has not caused the issue, okay? Okay. Exercise, in some cases, may be the trigger in someone who has an underlying condition. And that's very important to highlight. The other important thing to highlight is that although we used to think of... uh, those unfortunate events of a cardiac arrest or a sudden cardiac death as an extremely rare event, the reality is that it is more frequent than we previously thought. And that's why uh, we, as the European section of sports cardiology, encourage people to have at some point in their life a screening regarding their heart And simple tools like taking a history, doing a physical examination and a simple 12-lead ECG will do it for the great majority of athletic individuals.
1: And to have a screening, could you just go to your doctor and say, look, please, you know, I'm planning on doing X or Y. Can you just check that my heart's ticking all right, please?
2: Yes, you can go to your doctor, to your general practitioner. Obviously, we have to keep in mind that they are overwhelmed most of the time, particularly during this COVID-19 pandemic. So uh, it may vary as to how keen they are to offer that screening for you. Uh, We do a lot of screening as well. I work very closely with a charity called Cardiac Risk in the Young. That they uh, advocate for screening of all young individuals, and we do screenings up to the age of thirty-five years. Uh, as I said, with a questionnaire, a simple twelve lead ECG, and uh, I think the fee for that is a nominal fee of about fifty pounds.
1: But actually, a, a good investment if if you're going to know, you know, if you are going to be susceptible, fifty quids nothing.
2: Exactly. And to be honest with you, Helen, there there have been a lot and there is still a lot of argument as to how beneficial is screening those sorts of circumstances in preventing sudden cardiac death. But at the end of the day, uh, one has to consider that uh, 20, 25, 30, 35 and a 40-year-old individual who unfortunately experiences such an event and loses their life have many, many, many years of life to offer to their society.
1: Is, there, is it more prevalent? Are there more issues amongst males compared to
2: females? Most definitely. And we've seen it consistently throughout the literature from data that come from many different countries around the world that uh, uh, males tend to be more prone to sudden cardiac death compared to female athletic individuals. Uh, They tend to die more from the conditions that we're looking for in younger people, like inherited conditions that can be passed on from one generation to the next. And also we know that... uh, even when we go to the older ages, what we would call the veteran athlete, those over the age...
1: Yeah, what is veteran?
2: (laughs) So, uh, yeah, I mean, that's an arbitrary definition. I'm in the veteran age range now, the tender age of 43 years. But essentially, we tend to uh, differentiate young versus old by having that cutoff of 35 years of age, which is quite a low cutoff. That's predominantly based on the fact that Before that age, we don't see a lot of coronary artery disease, angina, heart attacks, which is the predominant cause of sudden cardiac death or cardiac arrest in older athletic individuals. In the younger ones, we've got those inherited conditions that someone carries in their gene and they never know about it until they experience an arrhythmia or such an event. So that's how we define veteran athletes. And what I was going to say is that even in the veteran athletes, we do see and there are uh, arguments regarding the impact of exercise in terms of coronary artery disease, in terms of arrhythmia, such as atrial fibrillation that your audience may have heard or even uh, 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 what they've called before, and there was an argument about an excess-induced heart muscle condition called ARVC, and even those conditions tend to predominate in uh, male compared to female athletes. Do we know why? No, we don't know exactly why. Regarding coronary artery disease, we know that even in the general population, males are more prone to it. Females are protected by the increased amount of estrogen in their circulation, particularly until menopause, and they tend to develop coronary artery disease about a decade, maybe a bit more later, compared to male individuals. For the rest of the conditions, it still remains a mystery. Obviously, you have to understand that it's a mixed bag of different conditions that can end up with the same result that we're looking at. But uh, there are theories about, again, uh, hormonal genetic predispositions. Uh, There was an argument about the intensity of exercise and whether males participate in or, or. getting to a higher intensity level compared to females. But I think that argument, to be honest with you, has now uh, lost its value in that we now, over the past 20 years, we've got females that compete at very elite level, at very high intensity levels. And Nowadays, even Olympic participation is almost split 50-50 between males and female athletes. So we we ourselves as researchers have started looking deeper into the female athlete's heart. What are the adaptations that the female gets compared to the male uh, in order to try and offer a more personalized or more targeted approach to the female athlete?
1: Does ethnicity come into it as well? Is there a difference um, in terms of ethnic backgrounds and if you're going to be more susceptible?
2: Well, there is evidence that uh, there is a a predisposition depending on the ethnicity. For example, uh, we know and we have studied in our group a lot uh, individuals of black descent, of African or Afro-Caribbean descent, and we know that the adaptations that they exhibit in terms of the wall thickness, the cavity dilatation that we were discussing earlier are very different compared to the adaptations that a white athlete exhibits. And again, going back to what I was saying earlier, that's extremely important for the doctor you're going to see because it's very easy to confuse what's normal for abnormal and attribute a heart disease and, in worst case scenario, even disqualify someone uh, from sports for no good reason. The other thing that seems to be out there, although we need more evidence, is that uh, black athletes tend to be more vulnerable to sudden cardiac death compared to white uh, athletes, whether that has to do as well with the type of sport that uh, individual engage because a lot of the data come from the start-stop sports rather than the endurance sports that you're interested, in, such as basketball, American football, and uh, soccer here in the United Kingdom. But they seem to be somewhat more predisposed to sudden cardiac death. And that's why, again, a targeted uh, approach to this group is necessary.
0: That concludes part one of the conversation between Helen Murray and Dr. Michael Papadakis. On uh, the next episode of the TriDoc podcast, I'll have the second part of their conversation during which they will discuss additional cardiology concerns and uh, heart disease concerns for athletes pursuing triathlon and other endurance sports. Iggy Perillo cultivates and facilitates masterminds for people who want to be more awesome in their work, sport, or life. She has worked with world champion athletes and people in corporate spaces as a leadership and team development coach for the past 20 years. Whether she's focused on helping teams build trust and connection or supporting individuals who are hungry to achieve more, Iggy brings pragmatism, experience, and the rare ability to create spaces for people to be real and get to the root of their challenges. The result is champion teams and leaders who are crushing it in their work, sport, and life. I am exceptionally pleased to have Iggy with me today on the TriDoc Podcast. Welcome, Iggy.
3: Thanks, Jeff. I'm very excited to be here with you today.
0: All right, Iggy. The first thing that everybody's going to want to know, and I I got the benefit of seeing uh, your little explanatory video on your website, but why don't you let the listeners in on what is a mastermind?
3: Uh, Great question. Thanks for asking that. A mastermind is a format for essentially a peer-supported growth environment that's non-like non-hierarchical, but also very egalitarian. Which I guess those are basically the same thing. Often, so I bring together folks that are uh, they share a certain commonality. So if I was working, for example, with people who do triathlons, for example, I would find folks that are in- interested in growing and learning and kind of having like a board of directors for that piece of their life. It makes a little. Like the board of directors metaphor works a little more for the entrepreneurial spaces. So if you're a solo business owner and you're like, oh, I just would love to have people who understand this concept that I can bounce ideas off of and get advice from, that's a mastermind. So this group meets together over cool. time. Everyone shares a sort of common, uh, a common thread in what they're doing or their activity level. And then within that space, everyone essentially has the floor for some of the time to ask a question, pose a, a challenge get information and uh, pick the brains, get the ideas, get the love and attention, get the focus, get the expertise of all the other people in the group. And so it becomes a super powerful learning environment because you get to know these folks. They know what you're going through. It's not just like, oh, I'm getting advice from my cousin down the block. You're like, oh, this person goes through the same type of thing. They offer really meaningful, helpful, connected advice. So that's a mastermind.
0: Yeah, my take on it was kind of just like leveraging the expertise of a group to solve problems for each individual within that group. So that, that sort is of sounds like so eloquent.
3: Know? Yes, well stated. Yeah. Well stated.
0: Yeah. And I, I really, the, the reason I kind of wanted to bring that sort of up was because, you know, I can think of so many times I've been to triathlon camps and, uh, you know, they'll they'll always be like a question and answer where, mm. you know, the coaches will be there and you ask them questions. And I mean, it's always a great experience because the coaches are so knowledgeable, mm-hmm. but having participated as an athlete and looking forward to participating in camps when they ever come back again as a coach, um, I, I think that kind of um mastermind sort of philosophy it would be a, a really interesting kind of thing to bring to a camp let the athletes mm-hmm. be mm-hmm. facilitated by a coach to kind of leverage their own expertise to answer those kinds of questions for each other and then have the coach facilitate it so that the coach can offer you know even that extra level or extra layer of expertise on top which that sounds, uh, i yes. think would be a really interesting thing yeah
3: absolutely um, and i think so, you get so much from people who've like you'll find out very quickly that so many people have had very similar challenges to the ones you're facing. That's like been the the takeaway for so many folks. Right, like you're not alone. You're right, so not alone. Either.
0: Yeah, and and isn't that empowering, right? Because mm-hmm. you know, it's mm-hmm. often often you think, gosh, I've struggled with you know whatever it is. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll keep it to triathlon for a second, but mm-hmm. like you know, gosh, I've really struggled with uh, my transitions, and you know, going from the bike to the run has been a real challenge for me. And and to 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 hear that other people have had that same struggle and even more to hear that people have overcome it is so empowering. Or well, to get five uh, different
3: ideas for, here's things that work for five different people that might work for you versus like one person be like, exactly. here's how you do it. Like it's so, yeah, it's yeah. an amazing experience.
0: Yeah. 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 Well, I'm, I'm glad we chatted about it before we start anything else, because I really think it's a fantastic idea. Um, so tell me, Iggy, uh, we've, I, I have talked uh, previously on this podcast with, um, a sports psychologist about some of the, some of the things that, uh, you know, can make or break a triathlete, uh, especially in these long mm-hmm. distance uh, events. And as a sort of a, uh, you know, I, I kind of look at what you do and I see you as a leadership coach and, and as a, uh, almost, uh, in the same kind of vein really like teaching people what they need to do to be able to succeed really from a mental, uh, perspective in terms of how they approach things. What are some of the things that, you know, in and out of sport that people often like mistakes that they often make that cause them to lose focus on you know what they're doing in the moment and and kind of get off of a plan that they may have you know laid out for themselves to to establish success?
3: Sure. This is a great question. And I agree. Like I'm disclaimer mode for everyone, not a sports psychologist, although I work with athletes a lot in my field of leadership and team development really like overlaps with the sports psychology world and the idea of mindset and how we approach different challenges. And I think the, the biggest picture answer I have for your question is around like energy usage, right? Like you want your energy to be directed toward your event, your race, like your run, your like, you want your energy be, to be useful and functional for you. And I see people get spent a lot of time and a lot of energy worrying about things that they don't want to deal with versus dealing with it, like globally, like fundamentally. And in my world, that's like, if you're having a problem with communication, or if you're having a problem with, uh, if you're challenged by other stressors in your life, uh, relationships within, I don't know, it's hard, like the triathlete world, maybe not so much relationships because you're much more individually focused often, but if your energy is drained by these other pieces of your life, you're not going to have the energy to focus and do what you need to do to be an excellent athlete. And whether you're working with other people on a team or within a like a larger group or just with yourself in terms of your life, like how you lead your life and how your communication plays out, whether you are stressed and dreading to having a tough conversation or if you feel prepared, like you just need to move through that, like you need to move through the next challenge. So I think I see people's energy get sapped by challenges that they avoid versus challenges that they face. And that to me is mindset in a lot of ways and skills and tools. But there's a lot of mindset that goes into that.
0: Yeah, and it's that mindset thing, you know, keeping yourself in the moment, keeping yourself focused on the task at hand and not letting yourself be distracted by external uh, factors, like you said, that can it can really undo, uh, you know, a lot of hard work. And uh, it's mm-hmm. so true, like in and out of sport. I mean, it happens in, you know, everyday lives as well. Uh, what are some of the things that or what are some of the characteristics that you see among some of the successful athletes you've worked with that kind of like, get them to be successful? What what are some mm-hmm. of the things that they bring to the table? What are some of their behaviors?
3: I think one thing that comes to mind a lot for folks in the triathlete world is this idea of motivation over time, like whether over the course of an event or a long season. And right now there's so much unknown in terms of when the next event might be, when the next start's going to happen, when, like when will things happen, right? So there's this, a lot of unknown. And so to maintain motivation during this time of unknown during a, or during a long ramp up to an event, like there's It can be grueling, for sure, for people over time. And when I've worked with athletes a lot, having them understand that they're maintaining their own motivation comes down to three main pieces. And those are purpose and autonomy and mastery. And so the idea of purpose in this sense of maintaining motivation is understanding not just the purpose for doing the event. Like, I like it. It's fun. Uh, That could be part of it. But deeper, asking yourself, why do I value this? Why am I putting so much energy and effort into this thing? What is like the purpose of me doing this thing? And it might be very personal. It might be very global. I know people um, often do events or engage in athletics as a tribute to someone or as in memory of someone or as a way to connect with other people or connect with the community. All these are pieces of purpose. I think people, the more the people you, the people feel when they engage with athletics and being aware of what your purpose is, whatever it is, there are lots of different needs that athletics and competition can meet for people, a need for power, a need of control, a need for feeling freedom, a need for feeling connection. And so understanding how those purposes play out for you really helps you clarify some of that sense of purpose for your motivation. So when you are like, oh, should I even bother? Why train? Why? uh," You're feeling that dread. So purpose, understanding that is good. Autonomy, in this sense, really plays out in terms of freedom. Like what are the ways you're autonomous? As a solo event goer a solo event participant solo athlete it's pretty like it seems obvious and intuitive like oh yeah i'm autonomous i've made these choices i'm doing this thing but i think autonomy we lose track of that when we fall into these habits of oh it's the same route every day oh it's the same lapse every day like oh it's the same thing every day we, it, it gets monotonous often for people i think doing longer distance events for sure can feel that sense of monotony and so looking at at that In terms of autonomy where can you make where can you insert freedom into those routines and into those habits and i think this is really very personal where they see freedom playing out it can be a different route you know if you i've definitely had the experience of running a route like a circle route one way then running it the other way and be like it's a whole new route i can't believe it everything's different you know like you just suddenly (laughs) are shocked by this but i've been that it just speaks to the habit of like running the same circle the same way for you know however long that you know it doesn't even seem new and exciting anymore so like, that's a way to like instill autonomy, right? I've chosen that you can choose, I mean, for people it might be what you're wearing, what you're dressing, what you're listening to, perhaps, like, I think there's lots of ways people can insert autonomy when things become rote and become habit and become, uh, they, that feeling of monotony is wearing down the sense of uh, motivation. And the third is mastery, which I think is easy in some ways for athletes because mastery shows is the evidence of growth over time. And you have times, you have splits, you have feeling, you have a lot of really easy metrics, I think. Like, did I do this faster? Obviously, you know, like mastery is happening. But at a certain point, people plateau-ish often, and then they lose that sense of like, how am I getting better? How am I improving anymore? My time isn't going down, like, uh like, and that's where the sense of mastery needs to be like reinvested in. Like, where are you seeing growth? Where are you seeing improvement? Is it smoother? Is your gait faster? Is your cadence more efficient? Like, whatever it is. I think there are ways to look at mastery that are not just a time, because I think time, like we can't get it down to like zero seconds. Like it's eventually there's going to be a plateau in there for most folks at a certain point. And so how else are you looking at mastery? What else can you master as part of your whole routine for the day, as part of your n- nutrition, perhaps as part of your mindset going in? Where can you in- get, inject that idea of mastery that you can see growth and see progress over time? And for some folks, that's just the flat out goal setting. But if that's the only thing you're doing, you might be ignoring the purpose and autonomy pieces of it too. So having goals and working toward them is a really, you know, the most obvious way to see that mastery is happening or occurring, moving toward mastery over time. Those I think are the main three things that I would, uh, that I've seen in athletes that are really effective is that they master these things to stay, stick with it over time. Cause that's where you see the real growth and the real progress happen is when people stick with these things, then like oh yeah, you will get better incrementally and you will be, and you'll also feel motivated, which I think makes people feel happy, which then feeds the idea of sticking with it. It's sort of self-fulfilling.
0: I, I just love chatting with people who are from fields that I don't have personal experience with because you so eloquently just put it into like these beautiful little categories. I mean, these are things that I think as, as triathletes, we, we often kind of think about, but wouldn't have known how to, Put into words, so Mm. I just want to restate them again. It was, it was purpose, autonomy, and mastery, and uh, I think that is really hits the nail on the head. And and I know that so many have struggled this year, Um, Mm. Mm
2: -hmm. and.
0: You know, sense of purpose has been difficult. I know for me, myself, I mean, I I can just remember when this first hit and all my races were canceled. Mm. I I went through a period, I mean, I think we all did. We went through a period of grieving. And for me, what got me back on track was just realizing, uh, you know, I don't just do this to race i mean mm. triathlon is 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 much more than races for me it's it's who it's a big part of who i am and and of course the training is is something i i very much enjoy um and and that purpose came back very quickly Absolutely. and and once mm-hmm. yeah and once the purpose came back the autonomy followed very quickly because uh you know it's always easy for me to to manage to insert autonomy and then and then the mastery is is something that is for me is is always kind of part and parcel with the purpose, and um, I, I really like the ability to be able to put that into such nice phrases because it, it it allows for a language to communicate with others who are struggling at this time when it's it's really hard. To keep themselves going. And, and as we're heading into an off season, unlike any other we've ever had before, where there really hasn't been a season to come mm-hmm, off of, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's important to refocus and, and having that notion of purpose, uh, autonomy and mastery, I think is, uh, is a great language to use. And I'm going to use it with my athletes to make sure that, um, we're uh, all on the same page heading into uh, this winter. So yeah, I like that very much. Um, where do you think people have the most difficulty is in those three things or, or do they kind of feed off of each other?
3: I think they feed off of each other. And the flip side is I wouldn't try to change all of them all at the same time. By the way, if you're going to be like experiment on yourself, you're like, I will change. I'm going to dig into my purpose, really ramp up my autonomy and fix all my sense of mastery all like tomorrow. Like, uh, like try like one at a time a little bit as like the, the bigger picture. I think it's really very personal, though. I think some folks um, like have one of them is actually more strong than the other two. And so they've neglected to is usually what I see happening. They're like, oh, I totally know my purpose for doing this. I know why I'm doing it. I'm like, well, how are you growing your learning? And they're like, oh, I don't even know. I'm Like, OK, great. Like that really then becomes clear that they haven't given attention to the mastery side. Or what are your choices you're making? Where do you see your freedom coming out in this? They're like, I don't know. I'm like, great. You know, I think you can ask questions. Or sometimes people are like, oh, I totally choose this. I'm like really amped on this thing. Or you see the people that are hyper goal oriented, you know, that I'm sure you yeah. know folks who are like, yeah. I'm here's my time for this. Here's my thing for this. Here's my thing for that. And you're like, cool. Why are you even doing this? And they're like, I don't know. I'm like, okay. So uh, I guess I don't know that there's one in particular that is. Uh, struggle more often than others, but I'd say people have one that they sort of gravitate to a little more than the other two. And so it's more of to look at those sort of blind spots than to uh, think about one that in general is more universal.
0: And, you know, one of the things that gets a lot of athletes kind of derailed is uh, injury or illness mm. where they need to mm. kind of step aside. And we've kind of all faced that in a way this year with COVID. But uh, I'm just curious, you know, wh- what can people do to maintain their mindset and their focus? Uh, and, you know, in a way, they're single minded, kind of, you know, to move forward. Uh, but at the same time, allow themselves to recover. Uh, what what's some leadership sort of skills that people can employ to help them with that?
3: <laughs> yeah, well that's a tough one, right? And I think the there's a lot of research into mindset collectively, right? And I, that's, you know, I'm preaching to the choir here on that one, I bet. But the idea of what a growth mindset is versus a fixed mindset, this is uh, Carol Dweck wrote this great book called Mindset, and she talks about that a growth mindset doesn't just mean you're constantly growing, it means you're constantly open to learning. And so like times when everything has gone off the rails, uh, it's easy to get hooked by what is even happening here. Nothing's happening. I'm, I've am i been kicked out. I've been shut down completely. And to sort of move into this shutdown mode, which isn't very learning oriented, let alone gr- growth oriented either. And so the opportunities the opportunities presented by a shutdown or by things being canceled is to look at where you can learn or grow from that experience. And again, I think that's gonna be pretty... Uh, unique to different people. Is it time to recover? Is it time to do physical therapy? Is it time to fix that little nagging thing that you've, you know, kind of like swept under the rug for some time? Like maybe time is a resource you didn't have before. I know that's, I've experienced uh, conversations like this with athletes who are like, well, I've never had time to do this before, so I guess this is it. I'm like, here you go. You have time. You're not competing, you know, or you can focus on dialing back, you know, maybe smaller details sometimes are for some folks are what they can focus on. So I think the trick of maintaining like that focus is to find the thing, the way you can grow and learn given the opportunities that are presenting. And even though they don't feel like opportunities, they feel like a bunch of crap right now. Like there are opportunities in there and that's developing that sense of a growth mindset throughout the situations that are not awesome on the outside. (laughs)
0: It sounds trite, but I mean, honestly, it's, it's all about turn that frown upside down. <laughs> and, and it's, I mean, it's, it, it is though, it's all about, mm-hmm. like you said, looking, looking for the opportunities that are hidden in this moment of despair, because they're always there. It's just a matter sure. of sometimes you have to look a little harder to find them. But, well, uh, and I think uh, yeah.
3: competitors, like only one person comes in first place. Like everyone else is like kind of working on their own, uh, their own growth and their own trajectory a little bit. Like you, and you can aspire to be first place. You can aspire to finish top of your age group, your class, your, whatever it is. But in reality, you're doing this all the time already, but I think it's easier to see in a competition than to see in the time in between competitions. So it's just applying that same idea of like where you're growing and learning to the time between competitions versus just to the outcome of a competition, for example.
0: Well, do you have any other sort of last uh, thoughts that you want to leave us with? Because this has been a really interesting and insightful conversation.
3: I would say if folks are interested in more on purpose and autonomy and mastery, there's this great book called Drive by Daniel Pink that I think folks might be interested in. And it gets more to the sort of businessy life side, but uh, I think it pretty clearly ties into the athletic pursuits also. That and the book Mindset by Carol Dweck are both really great. And although not written for a sport audience per se, uh, I think those ideas and concepts obviously apply really closely and clearly to people engaging in growth and development or competition or whatever it is people are doing.
0: Well, oh. Iggy Perillo, uh, thanks. Thank you so much. Uh, I am going to list both of those, uh, books, uh, on, in the show notes. And I understand, uh, you have uh, a mastermind, one of those group sessions coming up sometime soon for triathletes. Is that correct?
3: Yeah. I would love to host one for folks that are triathletes starting in january and info for that is on my website and i'm sure that will be in your show notes also but it's worksportlife.com slash masterminds and if people have any questions definitely feel free to drop me a line i would love to help folks understand and get uh connected if that's something they're looking for
0: excellent yeah i will have all of that information and uh again iggy thanks again for joining me today this was a really fascinating uh, conversation i really enjoyed it
3: thank you so much for having me
0: And that's it for another episode of the TriDoc Podcast. I hope that you enjoyed listening to it as much as I enjoyed bringing it to you. You could find the show notes as well as archives of all of the shows at the tri podcastcaptivatefm Do you have a question about any of the issues discussed on this episode? Or do you have something that you'd like for me to consider answering on a future episode? Well, send me an email at tri-doc underscore at icloud.com. If you're interested in coaching services, please visit either try.coaching.com or lifesportcoaching.com, where you can find a lot of information about me and the services that I provide. You can also follow me on the Try Duck Podcast Facebook page, Try Duck Coaching on Instagram, and the Try Duck Coaching YouTube channel. If you enjoyed this podcast, I hope that you'll consider leaving me a rating and a review, as well as subscribe to the show wherever you download it. You can also consider becoming a supporter on my Patreon page at www.patreon.com forward slash tridocpodcast. The music heard at the beginning and the end of the show is radio by Empty Hours and is used with permission. This song and many others like it can be found at ReverbNation.com, where I hope that you'll visit and give small, independent bands a chance. The TriDoc podcast will be back again soon with the second part of the interview between Helen Murray and Dr. Michael Papadakis and another interview with someone in the world of multi-sport. Until then, train hard, train healthy.